welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, a podcast from the Orange Students team. Our mission is to help you, the youth leader, influence the next generation. And we do that through this podcast, other resources, and our weekly curriculum, XP3. If you'd like to learn more, check out orangestudents.com. But for now, let's get started with this week's episode. What's up, everybody? Thanks for hanging out with us today. My name is Brett, and I am really excited to be hanging out with three friends of mine, Jean. What up? Crystal. Hey there. And Esther. Hey, hey. And Esther, (laughs) this is your very first time on the podcast with us, correct? That's right. Very cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been in ministry for 10 years, and uh, I've been a next-gen pastor, family pastor, and children's pastor. Um, I am married, and I have two kids. Two boys, and one of them is a very aggressive cuddler. Yeah, my my <laughs> yeah. son is ag- aggression aggressionately affectionate. <laughs> if that's a phrase, aggressionally, aggression, aggressionally, 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 okay. aggressionally affectionate. <laughs> Coining that phrase right now. Do it. All right. So today we are going to be talking about something that it's very easy for conversations like this to go in certain directions and for it to get really political, different things like that. But our goal today is not to get political with this conversation, obviously. Our goal is to talk about it in the framework of ministry and how we can be the most helpful that we can to the the families and the situations that we're going to be talking about today. So today we're going to be talking about the idea of caring for immigrant students within our ministries. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're listening or if you're watching, then you hear that and you probably think of one to two things. Oh, great. This will be really helpful because I have students of immigrant families Mm -hmm. in my ministry and I'm trying to figure out how to best help them connect with our ministry and serve them. Or you might be on the other side of that, which is where I would have been most of my life, where you're thinking to yourself, everyone who goes to my church looks like me. And I don't have students that are from immigrant families or are from other countries. So how do I even prepare for something like that if it were to happen at some point. So since I don't really have a ton of experience with this, I'm really excited that we have some people at the table with some experience who will be able to speak into this and and probably even push and challenge me a little bit in my conceptions or misconceptions about what this should look like or what this could look like. So Esther, would you tell us a little bit about your story first? Sure. So I am originally from Venezuela. I was born there. Um, I came to the US when I was uh, 14 years old. And um, it was a hard thing to do. Hmm. For example, this school was kind of hard. Sure. Um, I was telling Jean earlier that um, that when I first started, I started as an ESOL student, which means English as a second language student. And after a little while, uh, six months, I learned English and I was able to move on to the ne- to regular classes. And I was just telling her like I, after that, I didn't see any of the other kids. Mm. and they didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> so it was kind of weird. And um, Sorry, you went from non-English speaking to non-ESOL, like fully English integrated in six months? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's it. I just wanted to stop and go. I taught foreign language for years, and nobody moved that fast, so that's awesome. I, I've always been interested in languages, so I think oh. I, that's kind of what – got me into that a little more. And I w- grew up in a family, which not everybody has the same story, So, but I grew up in a family that my uh, grandma, so actually I am half Venezuelan, half Nicaraguan. 
So not a lot of people know that, <laughs> but <laughs> but my uh, my parents met in Venezuela and mar- married there. Um, so and then my grandma was from Nicaragua. My grandpa was from France. So there were multiple languages in my house already growing oh, up. Wow. So it was it was uh, I think that helped a bit, yeah. you know, on going to a different country and uh, learning a different language and not being super. Um, you know, I can't imagine at 14 moving schools like mm-hmm. that, like yeah. that would have been a challenging enough yeah. transition, but to throw in the mix also moving countries and moving, you know, not just maybe a state or two away from what I have known, but hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. from what I've known. And mm-hmm. then to have six months of starting to build a community and then that completely change and you moving to like there are so many different yeah. variables there that I, like as a 14 year old i i'm i i don't think i would have handled very well yeah. it was definitely hard i mean i think that what really kept me grounded or really kept me um not not like going crazy or going like taking a dark side on that um was that my church life was great hmm. so in school, yes, I was lonely and I felt different all the time. And uh, it was just not not fun to go to school, yeah. even though I loved school. Um, but going to, um, going to church and having those friends always there, and uh, that helped sort of like that transition. That's why I thought this, having this conversation here today will be so good um, because it can be such a huge different than the life of, a, yeah. of an immigrant child. So, so yeah, sure. in the church that you went to, were there a lot of other students from immigrant families? Were there other people that were dealing with what you were dealing with? Right. So um, when we first got here, we got here to, and we went to uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. So yes, <laughs> the melting pot of anything, <laughs> you know? Um, so that was kind of easy to go there. Um, e- but even though it was a melting pot, it still had that issue in school. Um, but, um, going to our church, our church was very good about, um, loving and caring for, um, for families who were going through what we were going through. Mm -hmm. And there were, I mean, the church had, was translated in like 60 languages. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was crazy the amount of effort that they made to make sure that everybody felt like they had a place, they had a home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how, that's what got us into going to that church specifically. Um, so for me, when I first came into the youth ministry, cause I was 14 going to 15, um, I was going, I actually just had to switch small groups cause I went in before school, the school year. And once the school year started, because I was for, from a different country and our school systems are different. Like I, I was a junior in high school at 14. What? Mm-hmm. Yes, in Venezuela, and I got here, and I was like, "Oh no, you have to be in ninth grade." Wah, wah. And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! <laughs> Listen, <laughs> let's not do that." So they actually put me back into tenth grade, so kind of like the middle ground, and I was so upset. <laughs> but that meant like my groups of friends will change and all that. Yeah. So it was just a lot of change and a lot of things, a lot of fa- very fast. Um, but. There were some immigrant um, kids in there. There were some, um, I know there was a guy from Honduras. His name was Carlos. He was one of my really good friends. And um, I think what they, something that they did really well when I first came in. So my first day at church, they, um, somebody talked to me, said, welcome. And then 
um, they saw that I had, I was like struggling a little bit yeah. with uh, saying what I needed to say. And they were like, they found me a friend, which side note, that friend works here. And she introduced me to Carolina, who was from uh, Brazil and spoke Spanish and Portuguese. So I had two friends who are already speaking the language, but they also speak English too. So it was mm -hmm. a good, good entryway to that. And then every, every other friend was from, you know, from there or. Okay, so I wanna come back to your kind of student ministry experience in yeah. a little bit, but I want us to jump into Jean's story yeah. a little bit. So Jean, talk us through, what has your story been when it comes to this? Yeah, so I am a second generation Korean American, okay. um, which basically means my parents are first generation because they came from Korea to the United States. So they were born in Korea, they born they're in first Korea, generation first because gen. they were the part of the family that moved, that moved to the here. States. Okay. Right, and then I was born here, but because my parents are Korean, makes me Korean. So, American. so would Esther be first generation and would her parents be first generation? So I think Esther is more 1.5 because she came, <laughs> you know, kind of in the middle of her teenage, okay. teenage years. So her parents were parents first generation like first gen, yes. and she was kind of a part of that. Right. But you can't be the same generation fully, as your parents because right. that's weird. Yeah. So 1.5. <laughs> so like 1.5. 1.5. Okay. Awesome. Good so, to me. so second generation <laughs> like, Korean American. Yeah, Korean American. Okay. Um, just kind of grew up here, was, you know, part of the... American culture and um, my parents were really big on living out the American dream. So okay. their hopes and dreams were all really poured into me and my sisters. So I have two other sisters. I'm the middle child. Where did um, you guys move to? So we moved. We moved to DeKalb County here in okay. Georgia. I, I've grown up there my whole life. Went to Tucker High School. Went to the University of Georgia. Like did all right. very. I guess. Um, American <laughs> um, if if that's appropriate, I don't know. Um, so so yeah, I so, mean, so you're, you're second second generation Korean Southern American. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting because I've I, I don't think I have an accent, but I've been to New York before and have talked with other like Asian American people in like New York. And they say, oh, you kind of do sound a little Southern. And I'm really? Like, do I really? I don't know. But, interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I don't really hear it. I yeah, know. I don't think so. I don't think I have an accent, but maybe I do. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so I kind of grew up just, yeah, just living as, you know, with a lot of pressure to mm -hmm. do really well, perform really well mm -hmm. as um, uh, coming from an immigrant background because um, I'm competing with all these other people who are used to the culture. And um, they, we, my parents kind of viewed it more of they've got a lot more opportunities and things that are available to them, whereas we may not. So you've got to work 10 times harder. Mm. So hard work and getting things done and accomplishing goals were a really big value growing up for me. Yeah. Interesting. So what was your school experience very different from Esther's? Would you say that your school experience really was affected by being a second generation Korean American? I think for sure. And it's funny because within kind of the second generation um, immigrants, kids um it's it's also different because my husband is also second generation okay korean american but he grew up with parents that met here in the united states uh they went to the university of ohio mm -hmm. or uh, yep university of ohio and um got a college education started working corporate jobs hmm. um so he actually didn't have as many pressures growing up because his parents kind of understood the American way of doing mm. schooling. Mm -hmm. Whereas my parents 
didn't really quite understand schooling. And so their view was just like, you can get anything done just based off hard work and dedication. Like anything is possible. <laughs> just work hard at it. Study for, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Like do all this stuff. You're going to be successful and it's going to be awesome. And you're going to grow up to be a doctor, lawyer, architect. Like that's what you're going to be. And you can achieve anything just by working hard. Um, and so. Not my experience growing right. up, by the way. So, <laughs> yeah. So for, for me, I. It was like, you've got to study, you've got to work, you've got to do all this stuff. Whereas my husband really got to, you know, participate in a lot more of like, you know, high school team sports hmm. and mm-hmm. doing a lot of this other stuff, playing playing with neighborhood kids. Yeah. I didn't get to do that because mm-hmm. my parents were entrepreneurs. They opened up their own, own um, alterations business. Hmm. Um, and th- they did that for years, but I would always, they would drop me off at school early, pick me up. I would, you know, have tutoring and also orchestra lessons and violin lessons <laughs> and all this stuff. Kind of typical, I guess, Asian Asian activities. <laughs> because this was actually very common for mm-hmm. us to go to SAT tutoring or go to other classes outside of just regular school because the parents, they were working so hard as immigrants because they didn't have the education, you know, Mm. as much money or status, I guess, um, that they were really investing all of that into their kids. So I can't imagine moving to a different country at 14. I also can't imagine the kind of pressure that you Mm -hmm. probably felt for your for your family yeah. of performing a certain way, getting certain grades, getting to a certain place in in life. Was that a challenging thing to have to to figure out in the midst of everything else that you're doing yeah. when you're in middle school and high for school? For sure. Um and there was a lot of comparison. There's a lot of comparison within um our culture when we when we would go to church mm-hmm. Parents would brag about all the awards mm. their kids were winning, what scholarships they got, what colleges they were going to. Um and it was just it was, it's, it's really hard. Um, and school in hard is, school in general is just really hard. Um, and eventually my, my mom actually went back and got her high school diploma. Hmm. And she, she was telling me when she was getting, doing some of her courses, she was learning about like sine, cosine, tangent, all this stuff. She's like, what? Like, this is just <laughs> How old were you crazy. when that was happening? So I had actually already graduated okay. from college. So my sisters and I, we had all graduated. She went back to school and got, you know, got to accomplish some of her dreams that she wanted to yeah. accomplish. And she came back and, and was like, I am so sorry <laughs> because I put so much pressure on you in school. I didn't mm-hmm. understand how hard this actually yeah. is. Like, mm-hmm. no amount of hard work. Like, yes, hard work is really important, but... I really should have been understanding as to oh, wow. how hard this this really is. So it was really interesting for me to to see that because we're actually still kind of working through that because there's there's other things that come you know with immigrant parents with like language barriers, cultural yeah. differences, all of this stuff that they just there's sometimes you're just like I just I can't tell you all this stuff because you're just not going to understand. Yeah, no amount of the language amount of language knowledge that I know is going to fully explain the things that I am going through that it's going to make sense to you. All right. So I, I do want to jump into that in just a minute, but I, I, I want to address the other person at the table real quick. <laughs> hey. So if you've listened to the <laughs> podcast before friends, uh, then you've heard the name Crystal Chang and you, you've, you've heard the voice. Um, but if you're watching on video for the first time, you might be thinking to yourself, 
Like, this is not what I thought Crystal Chang was going to look like. <laughs> you don't think I look like I have the last name Chang? So, Crystal Chang <laughs> didn't, is not from another country. I am not. You're from the mountains of Georgia. That's true. But tell us a little bit about how you can relate in some ways to what we're talking about here. <laughs> so I grew up in the definition of a monoculture. Everybody looked mm. the same and was from the same family, almost in a way that was creepy and weird, <laughs> right? And when I started college, my very first college roommate was from Brazil. She had been in the U.S. for nine months. And we ended up living together for three years. And she changed my life because she challenged perspectives for me over and over. I thought the thing, the way that I was doing things was the right way. Turns out it was just the American way. <laughs> and the things that I thought about politics and religion and faith and family, turns out a lot of that was influenced by my own culture. And I didn't even know I had a culture. Right. And so I will forever be grateful to Natalia. Um, and then after that, I became a high school teacher. And for five years, I taught in a school that was uh, between 30 and 40% Hispanic. Hmm. And often, what if I was a Spanish teacher, but I often ended up teaching Spanish-speaking students who were in our English as a Second Language program because it was like, hey, your other classes are really difficult. This is one that might be helpful for you to understand the connection between English mm -hmm. and Spanish. So I ended up teaching a ton of, of ESOL students, which was really fun. And then I moved from that school to a 40% Asian school um, where students were also second culture, but from a different second mm. culture. And so um, learning to work with students in that way was really helpful. Learning to partner with families in that way was really helpful. I didn't know how helpful until I married my husband, who is from Taiwan mm. and is a first generation immigrant kid who grew up learning to speak English in Colorado um, after moving here from Taiwan. And so suddenly all this became really, really personal for me mm. because his experience has informed how I understand Absolutely. my students' experience now. Mm. Um, so I'm learning a lot still in this way. Like I'm learning what it means to partner with families. And my own small group right now looks a little bit like the United Nations, and I love that. <laughs> um, but also that means there's a lot of connecting dots. Like this makes sense for your family, but I don't think this makes sense for your family. Yeah. And how can I help? And so I'm really grateful that we get to have this conversation with Jean and with Esther because I'm like, teach me all the things. Teach me the things I don't know. I, I want to get into the student ministry conversation in, in, in just a minute. But first, I, I still want to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of what what do, as, as ministry leaders that might come from this what'd you call it? Monoculture. Monoculture. What are some other things that we just absolutely can't can't recognize and don't understand about some of the unique challenges that come along with that? Yeah. So um, for me, I think as 14, 15, because I was on the verge there, um, I had to grow up really fast. Mm. Um, I had to go into lawyer's office and translate legal talk to my parents. <laughs> I mean, what 14-year-old does that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then throughout the whole time, like up to maybe a couple years ago, um, the uncertainty mm. of will this work out? Mm. You know, we'll, and I've been here for 15 years. It's still that had, had, was in my mind. So that was still a concern. That was still, still a as an adult. As an adult, yes. Wow. As a, a person who married a white guy, you know, like <laughs> it's still. And it was because of my, uh, my parents were still on that process mm. of um, getting getting their their legal status, yeah. you know, figured out. But it was the uncertainty, definitely. It was a big part of our life, everyday life. Another, another thing would be uh, 
future. Like the mm. concept of the future was was a hard thing to think about. Just not just because of the uncertainty, is because of um, opportunities available. Mm. I graduated with great grades. I I had uh, if I were <laughs> if I were would were to be um, a resident. When at the time that I graduated, I would have gotten a scholarship mm. to go to school. Yeah. I didn't. I, even though I had everything, I didn't have mm. what it took to get that, and that was really hard, you know. And then um, for an illegal immigrant child or a family that um, is here illegally, it is very very hard mm. time, and it's uh, their uncertainty is way greater and the shut doors and things that they can experience are very um very interesting and very hard yeah and what's wild is you at 14 years old you had absolutely no play in whether you were an illegal or a legal immigrant i mean you're you know your your parents made decisions and they came here and they were legal immigrants that's right and students i think aren't even always aware of their family status. Interesting. Like I remember teaching this young lady in my class, her name was Ruthie and Ruthie, uh, I mean, she was a child, so no one discusses their legal status with their children always. And so she didn't discover her status until she was 16 and starting to think about college. And suddenly that, like you said, reframed Mm -hmm. her future. Yeah. And uh, you know, like some kids might know, some kids might feel the tension at home. Mm -hmm. And that might be something for our leaders to really think about. Um, if you're seeing some tension in students or some tension in kids, then maybe start thinking of how to help or how to have conversations that is not, um, and not putting anybody on, you know, hey, tell me what's yeah, what's yeah. going on in your family, yeah. because that is a very real thing that people do not want to disclose mm. their status. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even, and I was legal. Like yeah. I didn't even want to get into that conversation with anybody that I didn't trust. Yeah. So I might have talked to some of my friends and some of my leaders, but this is that this is what's not an open conversation to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because you uh, have fear of what that information can do um, for your family or mm-hmm. for you. And so, yeah, people treat you really differently. And it's just, it's just something to think about. Wow. Yeah. I totally agree with the having to grow up and become an adult super fast because, um, yeah, I've had to, I've walked in to like post offices and had to fill out like, you know, certified mail forms as like mm. a, a five-year-old, like, you know, cause I, I was the only one that could read and really understand or, <laughs> um, my parents being entrepreneurs. And if we went on vacation, I was the one who had to type up on my, you know, computer, like going on vacation, will be, you know, store will be closed. You know, like I had to do a lot of the things my parents just weren't able to do. So if like phone bills came in that were weird or like the the charges were really high, my parents would say, can you look at this? Like, I don't understand why. Can you call the phone company? And I'm like, I don't really want to because (laughs) I I don't even know what I'm supposed to be asking either, you know, because like, you're, yeah. you're literally 12, 13 years old and you're on the phone with Bell South and you're like, uh, something's wrong with the charges. And they're like, well, what's wrong with it? I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I just, my mom just told me to call you <laughs> oh guys. So, yeah. So I was, I've been doing that since I was about five years old, writing forms, filling things out for my parents, all of it. So 
Yeah. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit to middle school, high school years. Um, let's talk about your experiences in student ministry. So Esther, you already shared a little bit. You've got a ministry background. Crystal, mm-hmm. we know ministry background, small group leader currently. Uh, and Jean, you've been on the podcast before and you've explained this, but yeah. give us a little bit of feedback about what your ministry looks like right now. Yeah, so um, I work at Gwinnett Church, which is um, a church here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I am the director for our middle school ministry over there. So we have um, a new campus over in Hamilton Mill where we just have different kinds of students all um, walking in and not everyone looks the same. We yep. all look very different. And uh, we try really hard to to reflect that even in our volunteers, mm-hmm. in uh, the people on our stage, and even our um, like communicators, band people, um, and staff, just like me. Awesome. Yeah. So we, you, you guys are coming at this from the perspective of we lived through some of these challenges going mm-hmm. through middle school mm-hmm. and high school. And we've also worked on the leadership side mm-hmm. of ministry right. and trying to help this happen. So from your perspective now, looking back, what are some of the things in middle school and high school that you feel like the churches did well? The way that you feel like the churches help set you guys up for success, to, to transition well, to, mm-hmm. to, have, to have community where, where you were? Yeah, so for for me, I grew up in a monoculture Korean church where you walked in, everyone looks Asian, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, that's not what the world is like. So Sundays was kind of the day where you actually got to be yourself, you know, and you weren't looking around the room going, is there anyone else that looks exactly like me? (laughs) Um, And I actually still do that as an adult. I will Mm -hmm. walk into a room and I'm like, oh, look. There's an Asian person there. Oh, there's a, oh, there's an Asian person on stage. Like, oh, there's an Asian person on TV. Like, that's so cool. A whole movie on, on Asian people. Like, like it's 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 amazing. Like, and I'm sure if you have not experienced that, like, you just are not aware of just mm-hmm. kind of the different cultures that are around. But um, yeah, like when you since I've grown up in just a, a monoculture on for on Sundays, like with my youth group, um, that's you just kind of get to go in. There's an understanding amongst everyone Mm. that there is this pressure with your Mm. parents, that your parents are really strict, that you're not allowed to do certain things, or you have to go to tutoring, or you're learning a stringed instrument, or you play the flute and piano. Like those were kind of the things, you know, that Mm -hmm. we all kind of commiserated on. And there was just a common understanding, which in our youth group, that's kind of what made us all really mesh really well together because there was just this common understanding. There didn't need to be any explanation about how we grew up, what family was like, because everyone understood. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So your experience was a little bit different. It wasn't necessarily a monoculture. And so what do you feel like your student ministry did well? Yes. So, um, so we went to this first Baptist church in Fort Lauderdale which that's the name, First Baptist for a while. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out. Um, so I hope and, that we won't get too specific about what they didn't do well. No, it was listening. great. It was great. Um, they really did really good with us. Um, so I think that being a church in the middle of Fort Lauderdale was an easy, um, well, at least it, it seemed like and it was an easy fit um, being into like a multi- melting pot of mm-hmm. people right there in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And they did that very, very well. They The church was translated in many, many languages and um, the service. And, um, and for the student ministry, 
I think that my favorite part is that they did not separate us. Mm. I've mm. seen it in other places that they had like a Spanish, you know, thing over here, and then they had the the regular youth group. And I, for in my experience, and what I wanted was to belong mm. with everybody. So for me, it was the best thing that I went into that this ministry where we were all different, and they kind of really. Um, kind of banked on that mm. and really in, uh, encouraged that and and loved on us. And um, our small group was filled of all different things, all different yeah. all ki- different kinds of people. And um, and we loved it. And yeah. I think it, we were loved and cared for. And mm. it didn't matter what we looked like or what we sound like, <laughs> you know. Um, and it was, it was great. I think that's what they did really, really good for us. Did your small group leader do anything specific that was helpful in helping other students understand you or helping you understand other students? One of my favorite things that they did not do <laughs> was kind of put me on the spot and ask me to pray. <laughs> that was my number one fear. <laughs> I was like, please don't ask me to pray in English or Spanish. I just don't want it. <laughs> so I think that something that they did was that they didn't put any pressure on me. Mm-hmm. You know, to participate or to not just listen and stay here and be a part of us, even if you don't say anything for the whole day. Yeah. yeah. Um, they introduced me to some, some people that spoke Spanish, and that was helpful for me. Um, I was able, I remember coming in with my Spanish Bible, and like whenever they were talking about something, I'm like, okay, where is it? Where is it? Okay. Oh, that, that's what they're talking about. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, so it was just, uh, it was it was great that they will give me this flexibility to, um, to be myself, to go ahead and and say things if I wanted to, yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't have to, yeah, you know, I was not forced to participate, I was not forced to make anything, but even though I was not forced to do that, they were always checking on me, hmm. so they always asked me how I was doing, they always like took care of that side of me, even if it mm-hmm. wasn't like in front of everybody, they're like, hey, how's everything? How's everything with your mom? How's everything with you? Yeah. Aww. Hey, what's what's going on? Okay, are you guys doing okay? Okay, mm-hmm. great. How's school? You know, like because they that was one of a, the hardest part for me was school, yeah. and they were very um, they asked for those things, and to this day, to this day, those. Um, those small group leaders are my favorite people mm. and the people that impacted my life the in the biggest way. Because I can imagine there's this tension between wanting to ask questions and wanting to be specific, but also not wanting to feel like you are are being called out or that mm-hmm. we're you know singling singling mm-hmm. people out. And so, what what ha, what's that tension? How do you walk in that tension between recognizing that you just have different circumstance, mm-hmm. and we want to we want to walk alongside of you and serve mm-hmm. you in this circumstance, but we don't want to treat you different than than all right. of your peers? I think as the leader, it will be more of uh, your personal experience with that person, mm. not in front of everybody, so but this isn't how a group you thing. no, yeah. this mm-hmm. is how you care for that specific person, what you do to that one person, yeah. Um, because within that relationship, then it can open up to, hey, this is what really is going on at home. Yeah. Or, um, but if if we don't have that relationship, if you don't care enough to ask those questions, not in front of people, mm-hmm. then I don't feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely so. think the relational equity is mm-hmm. so important. 
um, when you have for any student that's just different yeah. in your right. group. Um, but I know for like when I went, grew up in the Korean church, what they could probably improve on was that relational equity between um, like the the ministry and the parents. Mm. So yes. I grew up um, in the Korean Korean church within the Korean one. This one Korean church, there are actually two separate ministries. One that only spoke Korean, and the other ministry only spoke. English. So I attended just the English mm-hmm. ministry side. So there was actually two youth groups, but really? one was considered a Korean wow. Amer- a Korean ministry youth group. The other one was the English. And they ministry. met like at different times. They met at different times, oh, different locations. We did mm-hmm. not. Were they people you went to school met. with? Yeah, sometimes you would go to. Yeah, you would go to the same school as some of these kids, but you were they were separate. But because it was the English ministry like we spoke english the, and most of the parents are first generation don't speak that much english it was hard to build that like partnering with parents yeah. you know the, the the bridge the bridge that gap to communicate like hey is everything okay and also in just our culture it's it's so valued that you respect your elders. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if an elder says something like you're not allowed to go on this weekend retreat, there that's that's, that's the final word. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there is no like, but you know, your life can be changed. Like, well, you're yeah, your life could be changed at home too. Like, you know, it yeah. could mm-hmm. just be, you know, so like the final whatever the parent said was the final word and mm. you never debated mm. that or could really sway them. And so I think in the, the monoculture church that I grew up in, we could have probably improved on building those better relationships with par- parents to gain their trust. Because for me, my parents had a hard time trusting hmm. people, other people outside of our family mm-hmm. because they just didn't understand. They were, they're new. They don't understand. They don't understand what's going on. They don't really know what a church retreat is. You mean you're going away for a whole weekend? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Is there studying involved? Like, <laughs> is there a time where you're going to open up some textbooks and is someone coming to tutor? Like that, like anything, I was only allowed to do anything if it advanced my, I guess, my life and my career Yeah. when I became an adult. So Interesting. Yeah. I think that that is a very good point. And um, in our church, that it was great. You know, um, it was it took care of um, the immigrant families and all of that. Um, I think that for the student ministry, that was something that was missing also, the mm. connection with the family. And I don't know, it might, might have had to, um, might have do with the fact that we had tons of different leaders going through the ministry so it was kind of hard to kind of a lot of consistency mm -hmm. that consistency but so probably a lack of trust if if there's a lot of consistency longevity there's some trust issues right but i think that my parents didn't know anything unless i told them yeah that was going on in our in the student ministry um and i was very involved in it and then because i was involved kind of made them being involved Mm -hmm. so that kind of helped a little yeah. You know, um, but I think that's something that they could have done better. So there's almost a level of over communicating or at least looking at the way that we are communicating and trying to look at it kind of through the culture lens that you were talking about earlier, Crystal, where mm-hmm. I feel like I'm communicating well, but am I just communicating well to people that already have the disposition to understand some of mm-hmm. this thing, mm-hmm. and some of this naturally? Mm-hmm. And do I do, do I need to do a better job? 
of helping people understand if it's a weekend trip, really, really laying out. Because mm-hmm. most of my parents, mm-hmm. if I say, hey, we're doing a fall retreat, they might already know a lot of what that means, but are mm-hmm. there some families who need some more explanation to lay out, hey, this is ex- this is what we're gonna be doing, this is why we do cast a little vision, give a little bit more of an explanation. Yeah, like missions yeah. trips mm-hmm. are like, mm. what is a missions trip? Like that just, that doesn't, that doesn't translate to, you know, an, another language yeah. as easily. So it, maybe even explaining that, not assuming that parents already know some of these words or just being like, oh, well, it's a camp. Well, what's a camp? Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't understand what yeah. that means Even to explain all of that. I've noticed in my own group, faith traditions like baptism need sometimes some cultural like explanation. There's a girl in my group whose family is from Germany. And initially they were really uncomfortable with the idea of her being baptized and mm. And the girl's explanation, because she was a 15-year-old girl, was my parents aren't into anything religious, so they're just not okay with it. And I called her mom just to have a conversation about it. And what it came down to was not at all her assumptions. What it came down to is in Germany, there would have been a legal requirement to go physically to an office and change her name. Oh, wow. Because baptism and naming are connected legally there. And I was explaining, no, no, no. In our faith tradition, this is like entirely symbolic. There's nothing legal attached. You don't have to go back to Germany. And her mom's response was, oh, great. I'll throw a party. Everyone come over. (laughs) (laughs) She's all in. Oh, that's all it took. (laughs) That was it. And so I'm, I'm learning as a leader to just ask the question sometimes, like, what do you think about this? And how can I help? And and that's That's where, that's where to me, I think sometimes fear would stop me from reaching out Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to reach out to somebody and say, Hey, so Mm -hmm. maybe you've heard that that there's this mission trip coming, coming Mm -hmm. up. And in my mind, I wouldn't be able to figure out how to say, I don't know if you know what that is. Do you know what that is? Do you need me to explain what that is? Yeah, that and feels then, offensive. And yeah. then, that, and then yeah, my fear that. is like, I have made you feel <laughs> yeah. absolutely terrible right, when I'm just trying yeah. to help. And so it's probably just trying to figure out and have some outside conversations to say, maybe even with the student themselves saying, mm-hmm. hey, what's the best way for me to help your parents understand what, what this is to the place where they'll be more comfortable letting you mm-hmm. go, or at least they'll have a better grasp on what this looks like for us. Right. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Would you guys have yeah. any tips of how le- ministry leaders could communicate better to so, their parents? For my parents, it would have been a little different. Um, and the way that my family or my, at least just my mom and dad work is if you know their name, you know, very simple. Yeah. But oh, wow. if you go... Hey, Juana, like, I thank you so much for, I love your daughter. She is awesome. Always say that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So we love having her. We love having your son. Um, So we are having this trip. Uh, It said, you guys are okay with that? You have any questions? Yeah. All right, cool. Great. Thank Uh you. And just just by making that connection that, Oh my goodness, he knew my name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That made that would have made a, a huge difference in my parents' life or in my mom's mm-hmm. life, you know? And I think that just making it like that will be helpful. And just for our English speaking friends, knowing the name and pronouncing the name correctly mm. is a really big deal. Yeah, for sure. Like it takes an extra 10 seconds to learn how to pronounce a name correctly. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, 
a little tries, you know, a few tries. <laughs> practice. Yeah. And I know <laughs> Just some, a little uh, practice. <laughs> I know sometimes in our student ministries, though, we rely on our students to, to I guess, explain all the announcements mm-hmm, that are kind mm-hmm. of happening yeah. in our – but with, I think, students that are coming from this different background, they don't want to spend the time to, like – explain to their parents like it just gets really frustrating yeah. so that language barrier is can be really difficult because sometimes students can just just say well it's just not worth my time to try and explain sure. to my parents and then it gets frustrating and then they get angry you know so yep. um that can that can be hard so with a an adult small group leader who can partner together with that parent and explain really well what that what these different things looks look like in our ministry area mm-hmm. i think would be really helpful yeah so along these same lines, are there are there any things that as ministry leaders we can be doing to really serve the the entire family? It feels a little bit different, maybe even more intentional than normal in these sort of situations where there might be a language barrier, where there's obviously a, a culture barrier, there might be some pieces that 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 just aren't necessarily connecting. What are some things that we can do on our end to help serve those families better, not just the it students? It will definitely put you out of your comfort zone mm. mm-hmm. as a leader. It will definitely do that. But I think it is it is so necessary. If you really want to reach out, if you really want to help, then get to know your people. Yeah. Get to know their stories. You know, we talk about all the things, all the things to make things personal mm-hmm. in the life of, you know, a ministry or, or a child. And you have to do those for immigrant families yeah. too, mm-hmm. you know, and get to know them, get to know their story. And, but all of that doesn't happen from, from afar. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get dirty. You have to go down there and just go and serve your people no matter what they're going through, no matter who they are. Maybe you have like 300 kids in your ministry, you know, mm-hmm. but this is important. This is somebody's, somebody's life that you don't yeah. even know is struggling. Yeah. You know, and um, that you should take care of, you know, because maybe maybe you are the person that can link them back to God or you're the person that can, like, make them stay, mm. you know. And, yeah, so it's, it's important, I think, be personal. And honestly, it feels like the bar is really low mm-hmm. when it comes to caring for families who are – who are from different places, because I think our culture, at least in the U.S., our culture doesn't do that very well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes one extra step of being kind towards a family is so different Mm -hmm. than what they're experiencing at school or what they're experiencing at work. Yeah. I think it's noticeable. Yeah. And yeah, definitely um, just be in the church, um, even though you don't really understand them or even though you don't you don't really know what they're going through, but just loving like Jesus does. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's super simple, but yeah. but it's uh, but it, that's what's needed. It's yeah. it's that's it. And and I th- I'm a fear based person. Maybe some people can relate with me. <laughs> and so like so often in those situations, I would shy away from that mm-hmm. because I'm a I'm afraid I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to say I'm going to say the wrong thing, something along those lines. But like what you guys have already said, which I know to be true, is that. When you just are genuinely interested in in somebody, you build trust, For yeah. sure. and that trust builds the you know builds a bridge mm-hmm. to where even if you end up saying something you didn't mean to be offensive, yeah. when there's trust, when they know that you're genuinely interested in getting mm-hmm. to know them, that stuff just you know it I, blows away. I'm assuming yeah. it just kind of bounces off yeah. more mm-hmm. than if somebody says something and you don't have that relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think when you go into conversations with parents, going back to when you were talking about, like, I'm afraid to offend someone, yeah. I think it's okay to preface, like, 
I, I just am new at this. I, I don't For really sure. know. And please let me know if this is, you know, not helpful. Mm-hmm. Give or me some grace. Like, give, give me some grace. Like, please mm-hmm. forgive me. But we really love your your child. And we really want him or her to be at this event yeah. or come on Sunday or come to the Friday night, whatever. Um, because we, you know, and I think the more you show that parents love their kids and yep. they want yeah. to have other people that love their kids That's too. Right. And the more mm-hmm. you really show that you really care about their child, and they're yeah. like, hey, they're they're awesome. And you build that yeah. trust. This, I think there's some parallels to this story. So like I said, I grew up in a pretty monoculture. And, you know, one of, the, one of the churches that I served at, you know, was, was pretty white. just was what it was. Um, and we had one African-American student who started coming. He got really connected. He got really involved. And he was, and, and he was awesome. And we were at a fall retreat. And we put everybody in teams because we're youth ministry and that's what youth ministry, at least guy leaders do at <laughs> retreats is you put people in teams and we play games. And they everybody got to name their own team. Mm-hmm. And his team's name was that one black kid. <gasps> oh. But he was the one that, that, the name? that apparently came up with the team. Oh. And so I was, as you can imagine... <laughs> horrified uh-huh. and had a conversation with him. And he was like, no, I think it's funny, whatever, whatever. Afterwards, I, at that point, I didn't really have that much of a relationship other than like, oh, hey, nice mm-hmm. to meet you guys with this with his parents. Um, but I called his parents afterwards and I was like, all right, I need to, I need to talk th- this mm-hmm. through with you all. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to come off this mm-hmm. way, that way, whatever, and just kind of put my cards on the table. And I was like, here's the situation. How do I handle this? <laughs> like, was like, did he, do you think he did think that this was okay and this was uh-huh. funny and this was a way for him to kind of just own who he is in the group? Or do you think that he was actually hurt by this, but he couldn't be hurt mm-hmm. in front of the rest of the group by this? And so he played it right. off as if he he doesn't care. But just by being, just by going mm-hmm. to them and being honest mm-hmm. and saying, listen, I, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing here. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I just don't know how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. And I love your son and I want this to be mm-hmm. the best experience possible for him. Right. Give me some guidelines here. How do I how do I help uh-huh. make this the healthiest place possible for him? Yeah. yeah. Brett, I, you're such an empathetic leader. <laughs> that's a, I just think that's a great way to talk about things with parents. I think yeah. sometimes, I mean, I've been the ministry leader who was just too scared to have that conversation. So I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we would have thrown a language barrier in there <laughs> where... I couldn't speak, you know, their language uh-huh. and they could hardly speak. I, I don't know how I would have handled it. I don't sure. know if I would have ignored it because I, I just couldn't f- figure out, mm-hmm. like, do I get a translator to come and to be a part of this conversation? Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. it feel way too formal for them? Or would that make it feel like, oh, he really values having this conversation to the point where he mm-hmm. went out of his, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it would be so easy for me to get stuck in mm-hmm. my own head with how how do I, how do I build this bridge? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it is good to ask for help Hmm. always, you know, like maybe, you know, of somebody that speaks the language and say, Hey, let me run this by you. Should I have this conversation? What do you think? You know, this is what happened. Tell me, tell me like you, you understand this language. You understand what, what it meant. So please help me see if, if this needs more investigation or yeah. or do I need to call the parents? Do we mm-hmm. need to have that conversation? But I think asking for help will be the first thing. I love that. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about not yeah. doing ministry in a bubble, not doing ministry in a vacuum, but this is almost like a different, like a, like a cultural vacuum, mm-hmm. which is much easier for us to do ministry 
alone in where right. we kind of only operate from our own bias, from our own perspective, different mm -hmm. pieces like that. But mm -hmm. that to me, that's a completely separate challenge that I don't know that I really thought yeah. a whole lot about in my years of, right. of leading ministry. I think it depends on the student as well, like how comfortable they are with being their culture yeah. and and mm -hmm. different. So the student that's that came up with that team name, he may have just been super comfortable with his small group and that team mm -hmm. and was just okay knowing that it was a safe place for him to just be like, well, this is just me and yeah. that's fine. Or it could have been the other way where mm -hmm. it was like, well, this is obvious. I'm just going to go ahead and state the obvious yeah. because yeah. I feel uncomfortable. So I think it just depends on the, the student in those kinds of situations yeah. and really reading, I guess, the room when it comes comes to that. Jean, you said something earlier that I thought was so important. You were talking about how when you walk into a room as an adult, you mm. still notice, are there other Asian Americans in this room? Yeah, for sure. And I've seen my husband do that too. We walked into a room with 2,000 students at a conference and there was one, I think probably biracial Asian bass player on stage and he just zeroes in on this right. guy. And and I think as ministry leaders, we have to make sure that that happens in our mm -hmm. ministry, that we have people from different backgrounds on stage, but also in our volunteer base. Mm -hmm. Because if we have people from different backgrounds in our volunteer base, then then when I have a, a conversation with a family and a, who happens to be Venezuelan, mm -hmm. and I have a Venezuelan small group leader, I can go ask them, hey, how do I do this well? How do I yeah. have a, this conversation in a way that's not offensive? How do oh. I honor the parents in this way? Yeah. But if all of our volunteers are from the same culture, right? they can't be helpful. Right, yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about the idea that if a student doesn't see themselves in something, mm -hmm. they might not know that it's for them. But at the same yeah. time, if they don't see someone who looks different than them, then right. they're not going to fully understand the scope of of the kingdom mm -hmm. and of yeah. the gospel. And so as a ministry leader, I hope that's a burden that we that we all feel of who are we pushing onto platforms? Who are we giving the microphones to? Who are we who are we gathering to help lead our community that looks the same and that also looks different mm -hmm. from our students so that we can that we can push them in ways that maybe, to be honest, I, we weren't pushed or we didn't have the opportunity, I don't know, yeah. to be pushed when we when we were growing up. Right. right. Yeah. Crystal, you said something earlier about uh, finding leaders who are from different cultures mm -hmm. and have them lead small groups and things like that in yeah. your ministry. And um, maybe you're listening to this and you do not have anybody. Yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just you. Or maybe... Maybe you think, well, I don't have any kids that are from any other different cultures, but mm. maybe you should really ask why. Mm. Right. Because there is. I'm, I'm sure there are there are a lot of people. Uh there there are people in your community who who might need this, um, mm -hmm. who might need you to think about them. And that is this might be something that you can um think of and improve on. That's a great point, Esther. I do want I want to transition a little bit though. Um, I've already talked about how I'm a fear-based person, and so I'm always afraid or guilty about something because I'm a pastor's <laughs> kid. Um, and like dealing with people from different cultures is is a part of that. Is I'm mm -hmm. I'm often afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm mm -hmm. going to offend somebody unintentionally, which often means that I I unintentionally withdraw, which then isolates offends. and offends mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. way. So it's a lose-lose situation. Welcome to the inner workings of my broken brain. So <laughs> what advice would you give to, to, to leaders like me in the midst of that? Where, how do, how, how, how do we be intentional to not offend when we're, when we're not intending to offend? Hmm. So I thought 
Esther brought up something great earlier where you said it's not okay to talk about legal status. Like that's mm-hmm. not a, that's not a question you ask a 14-year-old kid who just showed up at your mm-hmm. ministry. Yeah. And I think that's true. Like there are a lot of things that we need to be careful mm-hmm. bringing up. Um, I was recently on a trip in a different country and I was warned by a tour guide, like there's a painful part of our political past and you shouldn't ask people about it. Like that's... Mm. Americans tend to be very open and talk about Mm -hmm. those things, and that's not always okay. The other thing I've noticed in my own group is we have to be very careful about joking. Oh, yeah. Um, That culture and identity are very connected. So Mm. when you make a joke about someone's culture, you're really poking fun at their identity. So Mm. when it comes to food or accents or traditions um, or the way their parents interact, those are not okay things to joke about, you know? Definitely. I... um, I went through something like that in my youth group when I was younger. And <laughs> if if you're watching, I'm sorry. And I know that you just flashed back to angry Esther at 14. <laughs> but um, so I was 14 years old and um, no, maybe 15. Um, and we were in small group and we were talking and this is, okay, you have to understand it is, you have to understand it is very big when a kid starts talking. Yeah, for sure. So please do not make fun of them, no matter mm-hmm. what they say. So for any kid. Anyway, so I was I was finally beginning to express myself. I recently learned English, and I was having a hard time with the words, oh gosh, I'm going to say I'm wrong now, shoes and choose. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's All right, so I said, well, you can shoot. You can choose something and whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And basically, I was talking about shoes, not really choosing something. Mm-hmm. And my leader laughed at me. Mm. And I immediately, I got so angry. I immediately oh. got out of that group and moved to another one, didn't even say anything. No. And I just started crying in the other group. Oh. And then the other group started talking to me. And they were like, what happened? What happened? And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but, oh. But it hurt me, you know, like I've been working so hard and making sure, and I'm a three, so I want everything to be perfect. Enneagram reference. Enneagram. Sorry, Enneagram. Threes forever. Yeah. (laughs) But I want everything to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. I worked really hard on my accent, worked really hard on saying the things right. And um, it really hurt me, Mm -hmm. you know, and he thought it was an innocent joke. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it wasn't. It wasn't to me, you know? So just being be very aware of your kids and what, just don't, <laughs> just don't make fun of them. Yeah. You know, that's just not a, not a place yeah. that you want to be at. And at the end, we, we all got through it. And he's one of my favorite, you know, small group leaders of all time. So, um, but we had some uh, relation, relationship equity there. Yeah. yeah. So we were able to come back to it and he apologized and all that. And yeah. But but yeah, it was it was a big it was a big part, you know, and just making sure that um, whatever you say, don't offend, don't offend, or mm-hmm. um, just use loving words, <laughs> you know, just make sure that you know your kids, basically, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. or or filter some things, yeah. and if mm-hmm. and if you're not sure that it won't hurt their feelings, just don't probably don't it. probably don't say it, <laughs> don't don't stop them in sentence, there it's we go. okay. <laughs> And even if they're laughing, right? We've we've talked about that a little bit. Even if a right. student's laughing doesn't mean the joke didn't hurt their feelings. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it means they're embarrassed. Our like the American culture joking is uh, something that is very um 
you guys, we do it a lot because mm-hmm. I do it too, you know. But we do it a lot and sometimes we don't think, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I found myself offending somebody from a different culture once. <laughs> you know, I was, I said something about their their government and they were like, oh, and got really offended. Oh, wow. But I could do it too. Yeah. You know, but yeah. you have to know and you have to get to know and have those conversations too. Well, and I think that as, as the ministry leader, then we have to be really intentional when we, even if we're not the ones that do it, when we hear that, when we, mm-hmm. when we see that, we have to right. be prepared for how we're going to have those conversations. Is right. that a, a group conversation? Is that a, you pull someone aside afterwards and say, listen, you said this, I know they laughed, but you would have laughed in the situation even if your feelings were hurt. And it, Probably and, not okay. And mm-hmm. a, a, again, it doesn't always come from, you know, it often doesn't come from a place of wanting to hurt somebody. Right. It just comes just from a fun. place of, of ignorance or mm-hmm. I'm just trying to be funny or mm-hmm. like, no, we have that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, well, mm-hmm. but do you? I don't right. I don't know. And then what mm-hmm. does that, how, what does that communicate to people that might not have that kind of relationship. Right, you can, right. you might have that relationship with that person, but what about the people that we're listening yeah. to? Right, right. To that, you know, and that's that's a huge thing. Okay, so as as we kind of wrap up the conversation, mm-hmm. which has been, I know, at least enlightening to me, yeah, I appreciate sure. that. Um, are there any kind of last thoughts that you would say, hey, for people listening, what, what would be helpful just as we wrap up the conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just... It, students in general, whether they're, you know, in in particular, we're talking about immigrant students, they're, they're more than just their legal status. They're more mm. than just yeah. their culture and their ethnicity. Mm. They are people. They're, they, they are people that want to be loved. They want to feel like mm. they belong. They want to know that, that they matter and they're, they're cared for. And so I think um, we just love like Jesus loved and care for these students and partner with their parents and, and do all of those things. And I think we can have just these really awesome ministries everywhere. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking that when it comes to kids, there is no, um, there's no rule and no, no exception. You know, there's only kids who just want to belong hmm. and kids who want to be cared for. And that can be your immigrant students or, or somebody who, with a different background, or it can be anybody. But just to keep that in mind for your ministry and to serve everybody that comes into your doors. Hmm. And I would say that showing up for a kid translates in every language. So Mm. even if you don't speak the language of a parent, when you show up at the violin recital or you show up Mm -hmm. at the International Students' Night at your school or you show up at the lacrosse game or wherever it is, that parent knows that you care about their kid and you don't even necessarily have to say a word. You can smile and be there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Ladies, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I know that sometimes there's a vulnerability in sharing some of the Mm -hmm. things that you guys shared. And I... I feel appreciative and lucky that I get to sit at the table and learn from three smart, wonderful ladies like you uh, about something that I don't have a lot of experience with. And so I love that you have been willing to share your experience, obviously not just with me, but with everybody. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for hanging out with us. And we will talk to you next time.